welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host Rebecca Roberts and each week we're going to be speaking to different guests about their take on how to engage a youth audience. I really hope you like it. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Hear It podcast and we're moving on to talk about distance learning, technology and the student experience because for students it's been quite a year with them returning or starting their university degree and what that looks like when you've got a pandemic going on. So first up we're speaking to Eric Stroller, here's what he had to say. Well hi Eric, thanks very much for joining us on the Hear It podcast today. Thanks Rebecca, thanks for letting me come on the show. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how technologies can provide that additional support and benefits to the student experience. Yeah, I was thinking with this question, I was thinking I'm going to need at least like 55 minutes uh, uninterrupted to just go over, uh, you know, this sort of wacky, wild career of mine. Yeah. And so I guess I'm, I'm a digital consultant at this point where I, I work with universities and I work with uh, ed tech providers uh, on all things related to digital engagement. Uh, and I do a fair amount of writing. I used to do a lot of speaking at events. Now I do a lot of virtual events, uh, and that sort of encapsulates uh, where I'm at right now. And you've worked across the education sector as well as within a a tech firm. Um, So where do you think it, I mean, we can talk about where it goes right later, but where do you think it goes wrong when it comes to using technology and learning? I think, yeah, there's there's always been sort of this this issue with the the selling of technology into education uh, and, you know, the motivations behind that. And so I think that's where it's always important to sort of think about what it is that you're trying to accomplish first, uh, whether you not whether or not you need a fancy technology is kind of beyond besides the point, because what it comes down to is, you know, is it better for the learning process? Is it better for the learner? Um, are there outcomes that are, are sort of going in the right direction? Uh, because obviously with the, the pandemic, uh, everyone kind of had to pivot overnight into a, a lot of different digital technologies uh, for better or for worse. And um, everyone was selling everything. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everything should be implemented. That's really true, actually. I was talking to someone the other day about this whole, you know, having to digitize lectures and, and think about things. And it, again, they were thinking about it from the the organization that you know the university's perspective like the academics want to tell they want to broadcast i think that's where social media always goes wrong when you're thinking that one way like what does it solve me to do rather than how does it work with your audience it's you can't really see it as like a linear process can you well, i think you're yeah, exactly right i mean the learning process has been sort of split into two camps uh over the years i mean you've got sort of you know, the traditional lecture, uh, you know, in a lecture theater, uh, you know, sage on the stage type approach. And then you've got, um, you know, some institutions were doing blended learning or hybridized learning, but you've also got sort of the online learning experience, which has been um, noted to be sort of more favorable to an asynchronous environment, which lends itself to whatever geography you're in, whatever time you're wanting to learn, uh, you can log in and engage in that learning process, which sort of changes the, the, the game in terms of that stage on the stage. You know, they're not going to be available to you 24-7, 365. And I think so for a lot of institutions, you know, trying to sort of replicate that process that in, in a way that the pandemic kind of took that away from them uh, as an option, they, they've struggled in some ways, because I think if you're in the sort of teaching capacity, if you are a professor, if you're an academic, and that's what you've done for your whole career, having to shift to an asynchronous format using digital tools, it's, it's completely new. And, and as I've noted throughout my career, as much learning goes on in higher education, you can be in higher education and not necessarily learn a lot of new things when it comes to technologies. 
as you mentioned, the pandemic has forced this digitalization process on even the most reluctant of institutions. And I've heard you know, good and bad things. You know, a lot of recruitment teams saying, well, we've been trying to get virtual recruitment opportunities for ages. This is, this is like a positive. We're going to keep some of those things. What for you are the key things universities need to be doing as a sort of transition? It's going to be an unpredictable year for a lot of them. So like, what do you think they should be thinking about? Well, I think you you know you mentioned the the virtual recruitment aspect. I think that I, I saw a really poignant uh, post on social media from a friend of mine who said, "So you know now that we're filling classes and we're filling um, you know cohorts with enough students in terms of admissions and recruitment by way of virtual events, does that mean we need to have in person recruitment fairs and kind of go about things the the old way, so to speak?" And I thought that was a really telling thing because you know institutions are still by and large, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a great job filling these classes and, and getting students to come in and enroll. And so that's going to change the, the way institutions market and promote and, and recruit uh, potentially for years to come. Uh, I think in terms of what they need to be looking at down the road, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking sort of at, from this with a, with a couple different hats on because I, I lived and worked in the UK for five years. I'm now based in the US. Uh, in the US, we've long had issues with retention. Uh, because students can transfer around to different institutions and, and there's a lot of sort of stoppages and dropouts because of a variety of circumstances, whereas in the UK, uh, retention hasn't been necessarily as much of a thing. But I think what's going to happen with the with the pandemic is, uh, you know, we kind of talked about this on our pre-show conversation, is that students can just kind of sit at home and learn. Uh, and what's going to take them now f- into an experience where they don't have to go to a uni based on where it's located. They can just sit at home wherever they are and, and enroll. And so that kind of opens up choice, that opens up options in, in a way that's going to change things. And I think we're going to see a lot more movement of students, uh, which is going to result in um, potentially more issues with retention, um, because they, you know, there's going to be a lot more stopping and starting. For those universities that want to offer some creativity over this coming year, I suppose, like, I hope that some see this as an opportunity, right, rather than just like the negatives. Absolutely. Well, I think that, this, you know, structurally speaking, there's all kinds of options that present themselves. You know, when, when you've got learners who are situated in a different context, why not think outside the box? Because if you try to go about as, as sort of business as usual, uh, especially starting in, in early 2021, you know, students who've had, and let's just face it, students have probably had a fairly poor experience this fall term, this autumn term uh, of 2020, uh, both here in the US and the UK, because just institutions weren't really you know, institutions aren't, you know, they're, they're locations for higher learning. They're not public health uh, departments or divisions. And so this isn't kind of part of their their job. And so I think that for students looking into 2021, you know, th- th- there's a real issue there where students might say, I don't want to do that. Why, did, why am I going to put myself through this? Why am I going to spend all this money for an experience that is so completely removed from the experience that either I had previously uh, when I was already at uni? Or if I'm if I'm a first year student, and, and you know, and I'm essentially locked in my accommodation, and you know, these I read these news stories about parents having to drive uh, for hours to bring their students meals because they can't buy meals from uh, the canteen or whatnot because they're overpriced. Uh, it's gonna these are really strong questions that students are going to ask. And I just saw uh, something from out of the University of Florida here in the states about how their their university president was saying if we don't have more in person classes uh, in the in the spring term of 2021, uh, we're going to have to cut jobs. And so they're literally saying, 
we're we're at this sort of rock and a hard place where if we don't bring you know bring in students and have them in a face to face experience, we're going to have to cut jobs. But that's in the face of the reality of we are we are nowhere near at the end of this pandemic, and so I think institutions are going to have to think about how they can sort of you know have smaller bite sized learning experiences chunking things out in a way where there's either certifications or um, sort of learning opportunities that actually give people the skills they need to excel in in careers, especially in the short term. Institutions are going to have to jump on that. Otherwise, they're going to have huge recruitment and huge retention issues. Um, And I've been talking to a few contacts around um, digital solutions. And and one of them sort of used the phrase, like, you, you really can't use digital solutions for offline problems and you know you've been talking quite a lot about the issue of universities return too soon and thinking about the money and not necessarily you know, from a student's perspective and you've had quite a lot of higher education pros of talking to you about this you know what what seem to be the common issues yeah so I should sort of preface this with the fact that um, people have been messaging me messaging me throughout sort of uh, the pandemic once sort of things really started to go um, you know sideways in terms of uh, institutions talking about reopening without testing or, uh, you know, opening their residence halls to, you know, with 80, 90 percent full capacity. Um, and so I've had professionals from uh, residence life to, you know, administration to academics to people who work in athletics over here in the U.S. Uh, just sending me messages as well as I should say higher ed uh, marketers uh, and social media professionals, too, who have had to essentially sell uh, wellness and sell sort of this idea that everything's okay, come back to campus. Um, when in fact, you know, in, you know, behind the scenes, they might not necessarily feel that way. And so these messages have just been coming at me from, you know, Twitter DMs, Facebook messages, you know, privately, um, to even to emails. And, and I'd say the, the prevailing themes have been, you know, People don't want to do this. They don't want to be in this position. They feel like they've been forced to do so. Otherwise, they're going to lose their jobs. Uh, and you know, and and that's a, a fundamental issue there because you know you're looking at people who for perhaps work in residence life and their their actual accommodation, their housing is part of their job. And so if they speak out against this, then you know they're going to not only lose their job, they're going to lose their housing, they're going to lose the place where they live and where they stay. And so. Um, there's also been, I think, uh, an issue where they see the, the leadership of their institutions only seeing uh, dollar signs or pound signs or whatever currency you, you know, you're uh, involved with um, as, as sort of the main driver of this, that really, as much as they talk about safety, as much as they talk about trying to do the right thing, um, it, it's all about you know, the overall sort of money coming in uh, in order to maintain uh, jobs and maintain uh, these institutions. I mean, you look at um, am I allowed to name names on this show? I can't. I can't remember. Um, you know, there was there was that just fan. It almost there was that video that came out of the University of Birmingham, and it, it sort of looked like it was almost um, like satirical. And it was, I think, it was their vice chancellor, and he was talking about all the things that they had done to sort of make for a safer uh, autumn. And he was wearing this visor that had the University of Birmingham uh, branding on it, and he was talking about how it was a wonderful marketing opportunity. And it just came across as so shallow, uh, and so just. I mean, it it, it was just almost laughable. I mean, if you weren't laughing, you're crying. And I think that there's been a lot of institutions, you know, here in the U.S. as well as the U.K. in a similar position where uh, the the main themes of all these messages, either people who have said these things publicly or behind the scenes, is we don't want to do this. The only reason we're doing this is because we don't want to lose our jobs. 
and we wish we lived in countries where you know there was a, a much more national response a nationwide response that sort of would say that you know higher ed shouldn't be the ones kind of trying to shoulder the burden of of reopening as a way to save jobs in the face of putting students at risk putting academics at risk putting uh, administrators at risk and not just that but putting the greater communities in which these institutions um, are located at risk because you know as much as we say that you know the the this virus doesn't necessarily impact younger people as severely but they can still spread it to others who will have you know seriously detrimental effects so um yeah it's hard to not get just completely caught up in it all uh, on a day-to-day because you know for a while there i was getting messages just left and right about people who were worried that if they even voice their um you know sort of opinions on on social media that they might be let go from their institution it was getting that severe so whether it's a full or partial return um like phase or hopefully next year full who knows um if we set up a guidebook and it might be quite a big one to get technology solutions right um particularly with this kind of blended approach because you know we may be having tougher restrictions they may become easier who knows you know what would be your your main starting blocks i guess for any teams looking at how to you know integrate better tech solutions uh, for students well i in a way, it's sort of like there's there's two se- separate sort of tracks with this, right? There's the learning track, and then there's also sort of the uh, outside the classroom or outside of the asynchronous learning environment experience. Uh, and I think when it comes to these technologies, and I think if if an institution is still sort of trying to figure out what to put in their you know their guidebook for the learning experience, um, I would just ask, what have they been waiting on? Because if you think about, you know, there are so many institutions, both in the U.S. and the U.K., who have had for several years now um, fairly significant online learning operations that you know are just filled with with, with real, really people and expertise uh, to craft uh, extremely beneficial learning experiences for students. And I think in some ways there's just there was this bizarre impact where or this effect where people were saying, well, we got to go online now. We're not used to it. What are we going to do? It, it seemingly ignoring the fact that they had all this in-house expertise uh, for online learning. Uh, and, I, and I think that's been uh, really interesting to see. Um, I think at, at some point, some institutions and a lot of, of academics finally realize, oh, we have these people here who can help us figure out what to do because these asynchronous learning environments, the, the, the technologies, the tools are there, you know, from a VLE to an LMS uh, you know, those platforms, by and large, a lot of institutions already had that in play because instructors or academics were already using those channels um, quite quite extensively. And of course, Zoom kind of became the thing and, and even more Microsoft Teams or something like that for sort of the, the synchronous lecture experience. I think we're going to see sort of some, some changes or updates with those types of technologies, maybe to get them a little bit better. Um, it's funny, when you're talking about the sort of specific tools, uh, I wrote down the word empathy, uh, and I know that's not a tool. It's not something digital, because one of the things that I saw a lot of uh, sort of early days, you know, sort of in March and beyond, was this idea that academics need to just be a bit more empathetic with students and their experience throughout this. And so, you know, it's it's more about allowing people extra time, um, you know, b- believing students that, you know, who are trying to balance maybe, you know, different things behind the scenes from, you know, trying to work or, you know, maintain family life, things like that. Uh, And I, and I think alongside that sort of need for uh, greater empathy uh, is 
from the student experience side of things, the outside of the classroom side of things, uh, things like mental health uh, and counseling, uh, because of course this pandemic has taken a toll on a lot of people. And so I think those institutions that open up um, greater opportunities for students to engage uh, with with counselors, with you know psychological professional professionals. Um, by way of either, you know, things like text messages and, and there's some like wellness bots that have kind of emerged and um, even just sort of things where they can talk one on one to someone that that's really important because, you know, your your mental health, your well-being uh, it really does impact your ability to learn. And I think that unless those things are kind of joined up, you're not going to have an experience that's worthwhile anyway, even if you do spend all this money. We'd be remiss, too, if we didn't even mention the, you know, if we didn't mention the the open university. I think throughout this entire, you know, mess that, you know, people have kind of been ignoring the fact that the open university has been around since what, like the 60s or 70s. And, and, and you know, those learners have all been remote for a very long time. Exactly. And it's worked for them. <laughs> no problem. So, it, yeah, I think um, the sympathy kind of runs a little bit dry, I guess, when people sort of say it's like a new thing. Is there a particular campaign or brand or even institution that you think do a really great job at engaging children or young people? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, you know, having, you know, everyone's sort of lives have been, you know, changed, you know, sort of topsy-turvy. And, and I don't know about you, but I know that I've probably watched more Netflix than I should. Uh, and I think that other people have probably watched quite a bit more streaming uh, services than maybe before. Uh, and I got to say, uh, you know, I, I have a, a three-year-old and Netflix does an amazing job uh, sort of engaging kids with content that they think that they might like. Um, almost to a point where I'm having to turn it off because I'm just saying this is this is almost this you know it's too much. It just keeps kind of auto delivering things that he you know they, that Netflix thinks that my son might like. Um, so I think they do a, a pretty good job. Um, and and really to be honest, I I try to you know keep my own son away from a ton of brands and technology and engagement. I think the one the one brand that he sort of knows the most because it's, you know, we live in Florida and in Florida, there are a lot of little uh, geckos and lizards that are always kind of, you know, flitting about. And um, one of the uh, insurance companies in the U.S. is called Geico and their their um, mascot is a is a lizard. And so every time we drive by, and I know this is getting completely off off piste here, but uh, every time we dr- we're on the road uh, and my son sees that that lizard, he just shouts out. And so I think, well, there's a brand that that clearly, uh, you know, they're they're going they're playing the long game because they're going for the young people for for well down the road. And then, are there any podcasts or books that you think you well that you would recommend to anyone working in higher ed or marketing comms or digital that you know worth checking out? Yeah, well, I was thinking about sort of the higher ed specific podcasts, and I, I think I, I can name three fairly easily. Uh, there's the the Thought Feeder podcast um, that that's sort of focusing on higher ed uh, marketing and communications and social media and all things digital, uh, and I think that's a, that's definitely a good listen. Um, and then there's the the Free Food Free Drinks podcast, which I think has the best title of any podcast. Uh, which is, yeah, it's a UK based podcast, and it's it's the focus for that one is really all about sort of student services um, and, and a bit more sort of student affairs kind of going out across the pond. Uh, and it's it's just I think it's playing off the idea that if you work in in student services, you know, a part of your 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 toolkit for a student engagement has been to give away free food and free drinks, uh, so hence the title. 
and then I think the third one would have to be um, the Adventures in Advising podcast. Uh, I used to be an, an academic advisor. And I always thought that academic advising was an area within higher ed that, you know, you call it maybe tutoring uh, that wasn't necessarily given as much of a shout uh, as other areas within HE. And so the Adventures in Advising podcast is focused solely on um, kind of, you know, what's happening in the world of academic advising. And I just think it's an interesting listen. Excellent. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, And yeah, thanks ever so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been fun. Well, that's it for episode 11. I really hope you enjoyed hearing from Eric. Definitely go and check him out on Twitter. He shares lots of useful stuff all the time. So next up, we're speaking to Nathan Monk from We Are Smile. And we're still on that subject of learning technologies in student recruitment and also student experience. It's well worth listening.